Love Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Welcome to Behind the Curtain. This is a show about life and how we travel down the not-so-yellow brick road of it. I'm Kathy Barrett, and I hope you'll stay tuned for the next hour because we have the most amazing show for you today. Our special guest is Derek Mills. He is the author of the much-talked-about book, 10-Second Philosophy, A Practical Guide to Releasing Your Inner Genius. Derek is a motivational speaker and also a coach touring around the world, speaking to mass audiences. He's also part of Hay House I Can Do It conferences. And he's featured in the motivational development movie called Keeper of the Keys, which stars Jack Canfield and John Gray. You can find out more information about Derek at his website, derek-mills.com, D-E-R-E-K-M-I-L-L-S.com. Before we go to Derek, our very good friend, Mahi Salamu, is here, and she has a recipe for us, Four Times in Crisis. We are so fortunate today to have our good friend, Mahi Salamu, on the program, and she's going to share a delightful recipe with us today, the perfect dish to have during stressful moments in our life. Mahi is the manager of the Squirrel in Your Kitchen, which you can find on Amazon.com. Welcome, Mahi, and thanks for being with us on the program today. Hello, Kathy. Sending you loads of sunshine from Cyprus. Cyprus has been going through a very difficult financial crisis. And how have you been working through this over the last couple of weeks for yourself? It's certainly been a very challenging time for Cyprus. It's one of the worst financial crises that has ever hit the island. People have not been able to withdraw money from their bank accounts for a while. Uh, life savings, you know, have, have been frozen for weeks on end. And these are just a few of the things, along with a lot of emotions like panic, uh, grief, fear, frustration, and the list goes on. Um, you do tend to feel a lot of numbness through times like this. And I have felt all of these emotions all at once, and there were times that I just wanted to stay in my cocoon, but you get up one day and you say, okay, what are my choices? I can either continue like this with all these negative emotions and I could get sick, or I find ways to get out of it and, you know, because despite all these uh, challenges around me, there's so much within me, the true magnificence within me, and what I can do to make this better days, not just for me, but from the people around me. And Kathy, at times like this, I tend to create experiences. What kind of dishes uh, help during stressful moments like this? What do you recommend? I was inspired to use a lot of colors in my cooking during this time. Anything that would be like an experience of the senses. So I called a very good friend once. She's the mother of three, two twin boys and a girl. And I said, I would like your kids to help me cook today. So I went to the grocery store and I got all kinds of colorful ingredients from green, red, and orange peppers to leeks and zucchini and carrots along with prawns. And I said, okay, I will, I will make my prawns in coconut milk today. And as I uh, grated the vegetables or cut some of them, I had her nine-year-old daughter, Alexandra, 
watch me and help me along. And I would say, look at all these colors, Alexandra. And look now, they're changing color as we are putting them in the pan. And then we added the coconut milk with the tomato paste, and it looked even more colorful. I said, okay, now, what color are the shrimp? Gray, she said. Well, throw them in the coconut milk and the veggies, and let's give them a minute. Look at them, I said. They are turning orange. So she goes, wow, Auntie, they look so beautiful. And then we sat around the table, and it was so beautiful to see the whole family, even the five-year-olds, try the food. And, you know, it's not so easy for kids to try new dishes. And everybody was there with a smile because it was truly an experience of the senses, whether that was in the taste or what we were looking at in front of us. Uh, everything was really phenomenal on that day. And it was just beautiful having a nice conversation outside the crisis on that table with us with that colorful dish around us. What you're sharing is so important because during moments like that, we tend to be in a negative mode. So by introducing all of that color into it, making it festive, you allow joy to enter the picture again, not just for yourself, but then you really did a wonderful service by contributing to other people in that way. So I think that's quite beautiful. Exactly. And we just have to remember that regardless how many how much negativity there is around us or how many things are falling apart. There are so many countless beautiful ingredients within each one of us, and we have to focus on our true magnificence, our values, our ethics, our beliefs, and all else that will make us survive this crisis. This is my little advice to not just Cypriots, but everybody going through some kind of crisis in their own life. Really great advice from Mahi Salamu. I just want to remind people you can find her book on Amazon.com, A Squirrel in Your Kitchen. And also Mahi has a blog, M-A-H-I-S-O-L-O-M-O-U.wordpress.com. Well, we're back. And we have with us now our special guest, uh, Derek Mills, to the program. Again, just to remind everyone, he's the author of 10 Second Philosophy, a practical guide to releasing your in, inner genius. Derek, thank you so much. It's such an honor to have you on the program today, and we appreciate your being here. It's an honor to be here, Kathy. Thank you very much for having me. And hello to all my friends across the pond there in the United Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> hello from the UK. <laughs> I am, first of all, a huge fan of Hay House Radio, Hay House Publishing, and of your book, uh, so congratulations to you, first of all, on all of your success. Thank you very much. I loved, uh, Derek, the ease and simplicity of the 10-second te technique that you developed. You really distinguish goal-setting versus creating standards, and which is definitely going to revolutionize my life. So I'm sure everyone who picks up this book uh, will have the same kind of experience as I did. But before we get into discussing the specifics of your amazing book, I would love for you to describe your life prior to your awakening during 2003, if you could. Okay. Um, I guess the, the place to start would be um, where my, age, age 13, I get home from school one day and I um, get into the house and see lots of relatives in the house or sitting down sitting down in the house not looking particularly happy and and I'm trying to figure things out Kathy what's going on and why all my friends and family relatives here a neighbor burst into the house uh, now in front of the door um, just said Mavis is dead Mavis is dead 
and that's how, age 13, I found out my mother had died. Oh, my uh, God. Maybe this was, was her pet name. Uh, her, her real name was Kathleen Carilda Mills. Mm-hmm. And I know, um, you know that everyone loves their mom, you know, you know as, a real, as a young boy, I really, really adored my mother. We were very, very close. So the shock of her death literally um, gave me trauma. And I found that um, from that point onwards, that I, for about a week, I couldn't speak. And then when I went back to school after the funeral, when I began to try and speak, that um, I discovered I had a, hor- a horrendous stutter. I couldn't speak without stuttering. Um, and of course, children can be very cruel. Um, and at college, I had the nickname the Stuttering Parrot, and I carried my stutter, my speech impediment with me right through into my mid-twenties. And uh, at, that, at one point, I was given some some advice by a young lady who wrote me a letter. She'd heard me uh, talking in the office when she was a, re- a recruit for the company that I was representing at the time. And she was trying to get a job and she didn't get the job. She wrote, she wrote me this helpful letter, Kathy, and the letter basically said that um, she applied for a job at the brokerage I used to work at. She didn't get a job. She mentioned that how qualified she was and this experience she had, and she couldn't understand how she could be rejected from the company when someone like you, Mr. Mills, who can't even speak properly and who babbled incoherently can be working at the company and I can't. And that's how I left. And at that moment, as I read the letter in the open plan office, I just kind of crumbled it up and threw it in the bin because I was fearful. Mm-hmm. I read the letter again and people in the office would have to read my mind and they would know about my humiliation. But, you know, regardless of her intention, I made a decision that day was I would uh, learn to speak again properly for a second time. So I went on speaking courses to learn how to speak properly again. Uh, that didn't change my life, apart from learning how to speak again, um, because I spent my late 20s, you know, married in my uh, mid-20s, with you know, four children, two long came along in my 20s, another two came along in my in my 30s, and we well, there we are. And basically the whole of that period of time, 20s and 30s, I'm broke. I'm working six days a week on a self-employed basis, which means like, just what I... What I earn, that's what I get, and that's it. And I was, um, and I like many people, working many, many long hours, six days a week until, you know, getting up at six in the morning, working until 10 at night just to make ends meet, traveling around the country for scraps of business. And I wasn't actually ever diagnosed as being depressed, Kathy, but I was, um, I know, clinically unhappy. And that's how I phrase that. I love that term. I was always going to the doctors, you know, for yeah. checkups and things. And there was always something wrong with me. And the doctor would always say, my wife would laugh at at the time and say, they told you there's nothing wrong, didn't they? And I would say, yes. And they would always say, it's just stress, Derek. It's just stress. Mm. Of course, stress is one of the biggest killers. And right. <laughs> But I had this thing. So I was basically broke. And, and without going into too much detail, but it, it's sufficient to know that in my late 20s and then again in my early, in my early 30s, I had to save my house from foreclosure. Wow. I'd go to the courts, which is the UK system, to argue with, with the uh, district judge. Another time, I'm in the office, and my wife gives me a call to say the bailiffs. Um, do, you, do you get the term bailiffs in the US? Do you know what that means? Yes. It's when, when they come to repossess your stuff. Exactly. We call uh, them sheriffs bailiffs. here. Uh-huh. Sheriff. So in the, uh, in, they came for the first visit to value my furniture. Unfortunately, um, as my wife told me on the phone, that the bailiffs were there, but also my visiting in-laws from Ireland that also were also in the house. Oh. It reminded me that they were visiting that day and they were here with the babies at the same time, or the sheriff. 
you can imagine my humiliation. It's just just worse and worse. And I wasn't seeing my children. I remember um, back then, Kathy, that um, being a family man, that um, Zig Ziglar um, once said that children spell love, T-I-M-E. Mm. And that just made me feel worse because I just thought, well, I'm not getting that. So there I am, you know, clients abusing me, driving all over the country, one year crashing my car, I'm so tired driving home. Um, after 18 years of setting goals, there I was, broke and almost depressed. Let's and go. Night, everything changed. Okay, before we get to the awakening, because this is so powerful what you're saying, I just want to go back a little bit and highlight okay. some certain things because... Yeah. You know, most of us are, you know, get into that where we're just, you know, we have our head forward and we have our blinders on and we keep trying to get through the brick wall until the brick wall kind of collapses on us. And then we still get up and try to keep going, but nothing changes. But what I find so powerful about what you said is that, first of all, at 13, as a young man, you're, you were actually, were you born in Jamaica or, or did no, you? I was born in England. You were born in England. My parents came from Jamaica. They came from Jamaica to the UK. And then at 13, to lose one's mother at that tender age, that is a life-altering experience. And like you said, you had the, the, you lost your voice. I mean, I, what a metaphor, really. I mean, it's really incredible. So it's like a reminder to us a lot of times, you know, as adults, when children experience different things, we don't really get what the impact is going to be on them. I mean, death is a profound impact, but sometimes other things will impact them, in the, in, you know, with the same intensity. So it, it just came to me as a reminder. And then secondly, when I read the um, chapter in your book about your experience at the financial services company where you were, all you had to do was introduce your boss, and and then you began to stutter and stammer. And that was uh, the recruit that you mentioned that sent you yes. sent you the letter. She was in that audience. Yes. I could feel, I could feel as if I was in that session with the rest of the recruits. I could feel your side of it. I could see her side of it. It was really very powerfully written and what i loved about that is despite your humiliation and your fear and probably your anger i would i would have been kind of furious too is that you you took that as an opportunity to improve and most of us get paralyzed in the anger and the fear and the frustration of of you know hearing something like that and we don't ever see it as an opportunity to shift out of where we are into a better place so i really applaud you for being able to do that in that moment i think kathy you're uh, absolutely on every level i can feel and think to you absolutely right because it's you know in life um we often think our lives are just our own and to what on one level they are but there are times in lives where the things that happen to us even if we can make no sense of them at the time, we can feel and look at them again in the future as, or maybe even right now, as an opportunity to share light in other people's lives because of what's happened to us. Because my mother, you know, I love her dearly, and, and oftentimes you know, I still feel her presence in certain moments. I, I know that she's there. But the physical world she had to leave that when I was when I was 13 years old. If she hadn't left at that point, her time on this earth done, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. 
Because her life changed in such a way. Still there, Kathy? Yes, I'm still there. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> a life changed in such a way where I lost my voice and I had to find it. And even through my my troubles in my 20s and 30s, financially being down, all that was linked to my troubles and my lack of confidence and my problems with the past and all the rest of it. It's funny that having found my voice in my tw- late 20s, that in my late 30s, I discovered who I really am. And in my early 40s, became, as in just a few years ago, as you know, my story is very, very short, the, the last part of that. And in my very last few years of, of my awakening and following my inner self, became an international speaker from someone that used to be a stutterer. So when I speak around the world now, that pain and that journey, it's about saying, not just reframing it, but actually recognizing that you came to this earth, a spirit in the physical body, to experience this. And as a result of that experience, to share that so that others may benefit from your journey, that others can live a lighter life, a brighter life, to make their path easier. And that's how I look at my life now. My realization is what my life has gone through and who I am as a spirit has, is, is, is to continue to go through realizations and pull what's inside of me out of me for the benefit of others in the world. So when I had the opportunity of, um, you know, of being a stutterer, I came here to do that. When I was broken, almost bankrupt and having bailiffs and for almost foreclosure on that, I was meant to do that so I could take myself into a place. The universe was sending me lots of signals to say the old way and living your life as your non-self isn't working. That's why you're unhappy. You can't be happy as your non-self. Find your true self. Live that life as you truly are, the essence of what you came here as, and you'll find happiness and light for you and for others. And that's what I'm doing in my life right now. It's really quite beautiful on so many levels. And when you say that, you know, it just reminds me, you know, you you are absolutely correct. You Your life experience has generated this opportunity for you to be a messenger and to bring forth all of, you know, the lessons learned through your experience. And I think each of us is a messenger in our absolutely. own way, right? Yep. So if we do look at those down times in our lives, you know, those points of crisis or even the worst possible scenarios that can impact us and just think of it in terms of it's kind of like the universe is giving us a hint. Okay, guess what? Yes. You're supposed to break through this Yes. because yeah. you have a bigger mission in store here. You you really are the messenger to bring this forward and in, into the world. So. Wow, just love this. I just love everything about the technique and your philosophy. And so let's get to the awakening because okay. really that, that um, I think it was a security guard that was That's instrumental right. in being the instigating person for you to have that change. Does, is he aware of the impact he had on your life? No idea at all because I work in my office, the building that I work within is um, in a business park. And they're changing these security guards that lock up buildings pretty much, you know, different guy every week. So I have no idea who that guy was because I, I appreciate this. Although you asked that question, the significance of the shift that, that, that came as a result of that question wasn't apparent to me to go back to him and say thank you. Because mm-hmm. I didn't really realize, I had no idea, of course, how would I know what would happen in my life nine years later from one question from the security guard, but here's what we share in the philosophy. What we share in the philosophy is that 
The universe sends us lots of signals, car crashes, bumps, issues, all the time to say, wake up, pay attention to your be present, be who you really are right now, spirit, not body. Because he knows that many of us still think we're bodies. Mm-hmm. But, and the universe always conspires and collaborates to have, throws, throws many moments which are really opportunities to wake up. The 10 second philosophy is about moments, opportunities for us to wake up the true self that's within. And that can, we can be woken up with a word, a thought, a question, a phrase, or an idea. And that can come from anyone, from adverts on the radio, from a word from a security guard, from a, a word from a child, a question from a stranger that allows us. If we can capture that moment, the word, thought, question, phrase, idea, and allow it to take us inside and do something to bring inside, because the inside of us is yearning for that moment to allow us to go inside, to find our true self, and to let ourselves be. So when that um, opportunity came for me, uh, you know, say it was late at night, about 9.30 in the evening, and the security guard asked an innocent question, which is innocent to me at any other point, and innocent to most of the people. Now, what time do you get in this morning? And I said, well, you know, well, 8 a.m., and uh, I realized I've been up, you know, up since 6 on the road since 7, it's down early 10. So in that moment, though, I re- as he walked away again, I realized that, heavens, I'm not seeing my wife and my children. What came through me from inside of me was concepts and words and feelings. Just in seconds, they just came out. And I, I, according to a voice, but a lot of it wasn't words. And I realized and I recognized that voice. It was me. It was me in that voice, speaking to, speaking to myself, saying, I'm the real you. And what came out, one of the first things that came out was, you're not happy, Derek, because you're not who you truly are. And you cannot be truly happy as not you. And other things came as I stood there rooted to the spot came out was that you've been setting goals for 18 years. And after 18 years, setting goals, reading the books, going on the courses, listening to the tapes, showing my age now, <laughs> listening to the tapes, <laughs> it, it said to me, here you are, broken, almost depressed. After 18 years of goal setting, goal setting does not work. Stop setting goals. It said the goals are taking you out of your true self. Out of, they're taking you out into the world. You're being what the world, what you think the world, the client, the business, the industry, the media thinks you should be. You're going into ego. You're going into non-self. You can't be happy as non-self. So stop setting goals. And in that space, as I, as I stood there, by the filing cabinet, feet flat on the floor, absolutely rooted, but knowing there was some huge revolution occurring inside of me, what came out of me was stop setting goals and start setting standards and stick by your standards, set from within, who you truly are, one day at a time. Okay. And that was, the first, that was the first revolution that came. I've mm-hmm. channeled many things since then, but, and I've even redefined and got more learnings from that place. But that was the first thing, that was, that was the first, what I call the 10-second moment. That was a very powerful 10-second moment, I'll say. I mean, it, yeah. it was very profound. And and so let's go a little deeper into that so people have an understanding, because we are such a goal-setting universe here. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, I love when you say uh, in the book, you said, dangers of, of goal-setting, there is a gap between you and the goal, and that in itself can defeat one from giving their best performance. You never live your life as the real you if your life is always out there in the future on a peg waiting. I thought that was brilliant. One of the things I was sharing there was that here's how the human experience 
is around goals. Let's say it's been really promoted in the last 140 years. You know, away from business, into our lives, into schools, into the into healthcare targets and hospitals and everywhere is now goals-based. But here's the thing. Why is it only 3% of North Americans, when researched last year when we launched the book, um, said they're achieving their goals? If that's the case, how come 97% of people are not achieving their goals? How come, if goals were the answer to all of our dreams on this physical world, how come most people are not happy and successful by their own definition if goals are the things to do? Here's what I, here's what I, what I learned. Goals don't work. Goals take us out into ego and away, to, away from ourselves. So when we set a goal, each and every one of us, I spoke very recently in a couple of conferences in um, Dubai to some uh, insurance agents and in California to some Hay House, typical Hay House audience. So very different bunch of people. And I said, okay, so when you set your goal, here's what you do. You say you're going to have that house and when you've got that car, and when you've got that income, when you've got that partner, when you are that weight, when you live in that house, and when you've got these things, and you've done those things, then you'll be, and the responsible audience always comes back happy. Exactly, I say. So what you're doing is you're attaching happiness to achievements of goals. No one sets a goal to be unhappy, by the way. So <laughs> know that people are attaching happiness to goals. That's a given. But when you're attaching happiness to your goals, your goals are next week. Your goals are next month, next year, three years, five years, or 20 years. And we can't help but attach happiness to the achievement of that goal. And here's what happens. The happiness stays out there in the future, waiting you to be there. And tomorrow never comes. Because if you put your happiness out there into the future, you reserve that for the future. You don't get to feel it today. Mm. today. Because happiness, you see, just like standards, they are a today experience. You're, you're not happy yesterday. You're not happy tomorrow. You can only experience happy now in this moment. So standards say we need to stay present. We need to stay in today, right now, staying present. Goals make us. It's an illusion. It says be happy into the future when you've got these things. And most people don't even achieve. This is the, this is the trick. Most people don't even achieve those things, as we see from research in the States last year. And we could all do our own research around who's achieved all their goals. And the second thing, the reason why it tricks us, and it tells us that even when we do achieve a goal, we then set some more goals that push our happiness into the future even more. And many people, Kathy, set goals, don't achieve them year by year, and then set more goals. And you remember from my story, I spent a lot of my adult life, the first you know, 18 years of my adult life, in a debt-based scenario. So the other day, I was watching um, this, uh, this program, and an advert came on, um, an advert, an advertisement, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Came on. And it said, do you have debts? Do you have credit card debts? Do you have loans? Do you have finance? Do you have car finance? Replace all those with one loan. Solve your problem. And I just laughed. I just thought from replacing all, all your debts with one more debt. You know? But they were, that, was their, that was their line. Yeah. Replace all your debts with one loan. And I thought, well, that's how goals often work. You know, we have lots and lots of goals that we don't achieve. And we keep setting bigger and different to more goals. And we don't stay happy. So... What does standards say? Set standards just for today. Now, let's just qualify and clarify what a standard is for this philosophy. Mm -hmm. A standard is a basis, a criteria, a level, a quality, or a rule. A basis, criteria, level, quality, or rule that you set from within, and you truly are set from within for your life just for today. In your life, your personal health, your business, your relationships, your career, your time, your 
emotions, set standards from within, not from without, not from the world, not from your job, your career, from society, but from your essence, who you truly are, your true self. And if you set standards in that place, it helps to keep you in true self and it allows your genius to come out. And by the way, this is uh, this what came out of me, this phrase kept coming to me, give us this day. 2,000 years ago, Christ walked on this earth. And I believe that Christ is the Son of God. Other faiths believe that Christ was just a prophet or a very wise prophet. If you're a Muslim, if you're a Christian, he was a, he's the Son of God. So whether Son of God or, or a prophet, maybe most people can agree that he walked around this planet 2,000 years ago. And when Christ walked, he said many things. And he gave us some words in particular to remember. And in amongst those words, he said four words. Give us this day. Give us this day. He did not say give us this week, give us this month, <laughs> this quarter, give us this fiscal year, give us this history year business plan. He said give us this day. I do not believe that that was a slip of the tongue. I think if he meant to say give us this week or this month or this business quarter, he'd have said so. He said give us this day because he knew it was about being what you can be today, getting your true life into today, in love and life for others today, learn what you can today, get what you can today, share what you can today, be all you can be, get it through and in it now and for today. Right. Today, being your standard, standards help keep us in our true self one day at a time. And if he, um, somewhere else in scripture, he says, have no worry for tomorrow. Uh, when you reconcile the two, how do we have no worry for tomorrow? And how, how we literally have no worry for tomorrow is that if the best you is in your life today, operating at his highest standards with your genius and your true self at play in your life and your work and your relationships and all the aspects of, of who you are as, as, as a being on this planet, if you're the best you in today, your future is taken care of. If the best you and standards help to keep you in your best you by having standards that you stick to, criteria, levels, basis, rules and quantities that you stick to from within just for today. I don't believe that was a slip of the tongue. He meant to give us this day and have no worry for tomorrow. If we do and we are all we can be today, no goal is going to improve our future. In fact, there's, it goes further than that. When we set goals, we go into ego and we go into measurement of what the world thinks we should be, do and have. And so some people, if they haven't got the right house, feel like a failure, driving the wrong car, feel unsuccessful. Hold on a second. We are spirit with body, not body with spirit. We are spirit with body. So the real genius of ourselves is actually on the inside. And that is a creative genius. It is also a guru that will guide us to turn left or to right or to call that client or to go to that meeting. If we go inside and stay there, it guides us. And we can find far more, quote-unquote, success and happiness, every single one of us, if we work from the inside, from our true self. And standards are just a practical tool to help keeping us in our true self because they come from our true self. And we take the pressure off. Kathy, we haven't got to, we haven't got to do standards for the rest of our lives. We've only got to do standards just for today, just as we get our head back on our pillow tonight. And if a good Lord gives us tomorrow, that's another day. Just to your standards, just for today. Well, that's really great advice. And also what you mention is when you when you talk about standards, what you're really referring to is one's core values in terms of who they are as a person. So if on a daily basis we're not thinking about the past, we're not worrying about what's happening in the future, but we are looking within 
and saying, okay, who are we? What do we want? Who do we want to be in our lives? Then basically what we're going to be doing is outlining in a, in a sense who, what our values are because that's going to define who we are as people. So if it's really a very simple thing to do. It doesn't take anything from the outside to get this information because it's right there present with us. Absolutely. So, and and it goes with what all the other great philosophers are saying that the power, you know, Eckhart Tolle, the power is in now, not yes. the past, not the future. It's in this moment. So if people get that they have control over the moment, mm-hmm. then it's it's like the keys to the kingdom, isn't it? Yes, it is. And one of the things that's really important is that many people now, I mean, like Eckhart Tolle and Wayne Dyer. I listened to an interview that was recorded earlier this year where a member of the audience was listening to Eckhart and Wayne Dyer uh, speak. And one of the members of the audience said, um, what kind of goal should I set? And you won't be surprised to hear the response from Wayne and Eckhart, which was, and this was recorded in January of this year. Mm-hmm. And they both basically said, uh, well, Wayne started by saying, well, I, that's a difficult question because I don't set goals. He said, I wrote much, many, much, many books and stuff in previous years. And I can't, I can't have those books recalled, which I thought was an interesting thing to say. I can't have those books recalled, or I can share with you right now. Those books talk about goals, and right now, I don't set goals. No. Cut Eckhart Tully, and he said, you know, he's the guy that wrote The Power of Now, and I came across his works last year through Hay House. And he said, um, I don't like you, Wayne, I don't set goals either. Because, you know, and he went through his, his reasons. But what I want to talk about standards, we're saying, actually, standards are more than just values. See, we can have standards in our life around our personal health and fitness, about our emotions, about our relationships, about our family, our environment, our career, and our time. Not just about values. Standards are actual things that we can do and live and be and set up, even in our businesses, who we deal with, who we don't deal with, the hours that we work, how we work with our family, how we react when someone cuts us up in our car or you know, interrupts us on, on, on the freeway, how we our emotions, and we can set new standards of emotions. Everything is open. There's a process I go through which is called the Perfect Standards Life System, where it looks at the seven key areas of our lives. So it isn't just values. It's important that we go deeper and we go practical. The book, as you know, is the 10-second philosophy, a practical guide to releasing your inner genius. The practical part is standards. And, you know, by looking at standards in seven key areas, we get to go inside of ourselves. What's really useful is that one of the challenges that we all face as teachers and leaders is that we often we know what we're doing from a spiritual point of view. We're communicating our message and our sharing, what's coming through us, what's what we're channeling with others. But the other people sometimes have a real challenge and a problem getting what we mean. And I say, well, how do I do that? If it's as simple as just being myself and being true, by being spirit, how do I do that? So what came through my genius? And as you know, in the book, I said on the very first page, I found out that I was a genius. If I'm a genius... <laughs> And if I'm a genius, every single one of us is a genius. That's what I know for sure. I'm going to make my mother so proud when she hears that. (laughs) (laughs) that, Was that a mantra of hers as well? (laughs) And uh, what came out of me was actually my genius said, actually, if we set standards, which are basis, criteria, levels, rules, and qualities from within, in these seven key areas, that keeps us it takes us on an introspective journey to first discover who we are and why I should have X or Y standard. And if we live at that just for today, the pressure's off, not forever, but we begin to stick at our standards 
just for today. Whether that be how you're treated in a relationship, the type of clients that you work, how you're going to be as a parent, as a, as a, as a, as a father, as a spouse, as a uh, consultant, as a coach, as a friend in the world for your community. What's the standard of how you, what, what are the basis, what are the rules and the qualities and the levels that you live by? So when I, um, over time, as I refer and refine and learn more of this, I created it into a mnemonic uh, called PERFECT. P per, is your personal health and fitness. E is your environment, your internal environment and your external environment, which is your attitude and what you surround yourself with. That's the real environment that affects our lives. The R is around relationships. My father brought up seven kids when he lost his wife. He was 38 years old when he lost our mother. Brought up seven children with two rules. He said, drop the bad company and you must keep good company. This is a man with no qualifications, Mm. widow at 38, put up seven children, all did pretty much okay for themselves, with two rules. He knew that those with whom we associate with can either make or break our lives, drop the bad company and make the bad, uh, and keep good company. You must keep good company, those two rules. Family, as you've probably heard, I changed the whole of my life um, to, to be in line with my family. You know, new rules, you know, take my kids to school every single day compared to what I used to do. Pick them up from school two, three days a week. No more weekend working, that's family time. No more Friday working, that's me and Jerry time. Jerry's my wife. No more evening appointments, that's when I should be at home with my wife and my children. But spending time going to every recital. These are standards. These are things, that, these are rules that I set. And when I, when I talk with any new client or any old client that took me away from those or tried to get me to breach my stand, I just say, no, this is my life. This is my rule, my quality, how, how I live my life. So I began to set standards firstly around my family time and who I was as a father and a husband and as a friend and as a son and as a brother. All new stuff, practical things that I could do, which I could do just for today. That's really something. Um, and w- let's just review for the listener the seven areas so they can yes, start okay. to like write this down and really focus okay. on it. Please do, yeah. Write this down, the key seven areas, if you change a couple of these areas, it affects everything else. If you write down, on the, if you've got a sheet of paper, the word perfect, but write it from top to bottom, put P-E-R-F-E-C-T. And these are the seven areas we take practical shifts, practical standards in. Personal health and fitness is the P. Your environment is the first E, and that means your internal environment, which is your attitude. When you go to the garden, when you go to your mind, is there a garden that supports and nourishes you in this beautiful place to be? When you go to your mind, is it a sticky, dark pit? We get to control the standard of our attitude. We know, we've known this for decades, if not a couple of hundred years. We control our attitude, but most people don't have charge. They don't set the right standard. They let anything into their minds, anything be in their minds. And here's the challenge. If we don't control the standard of our attitude, when we get in there, when we go to, into our minds, we find a sticky, dark, deep pit does not serve us, will not help us in bad times in our lives, will not nurture us, will not support us. But we get to set the standard of our attitude. If we go to our garden of our mind, it's a beautiful garden with lush grasses and flowers and plants and salads and fruits and vegetables that nurture us and serve us. We go to our minds, even at the worst of times, and we'll be served with greatness and support and nourishment. So setting the standard of attitude is not new. But standards gives another way of looking at what's inside of your mind, pits or a garden. And I then start um, looking at the R. The relationship is really simple. 
drop the bad company and keep the bad company. We know why, for many reasons why. That's important, important advice for any parent or any child. It's also important guidance for ourselves. We must set the standard of who we associate in our lives because they can either make or break us. Mm-hmm. When it comes to family, clearly I set a whole range of standards you know, based upon me as a family man, up, down, across, as in you know, husband, father, brother, and all the rest of it. Um, and they made the call to how I affected my business standards. Saying to my, saying to some existing clients, I can't work with you anymore because how I work with you is destroying me. And you're getting good value, but actually I can't continue to see you at 9 o'clock on the night once every other month. Mm-hmm. So I changed my standards who I was allowed to be a client. See, if you open your door for business, you do realize it's your door. You can allow across the threshold who you want to. So it's about setting standards in our businesses in our lives as coaches or teachers or advisors or anything in business where we can say, here's how I work. These are the hours. And we will get more respect from you. In fact, we get respect from the world based upon the standards that we set. We get respect from the world based on the standards that we set. Very important point for people to really resonate on. That's a key point in relationships with business. When I change my business standards, which which is the... Well, I'll look at the, um, let's keep this going. We've got the F F for family, the E for emotions. So I'll come back to business in a second. The E, the second E is for emotions. Because we we know this, this is uh, all research. But what came through me was that most people let the standard of their emotions slip. So if you're driving on the freeway and a car cuts you up or swerves you, causes you to swerve by their bad driving, and you get really angry, and you get frustrated, and you start cursing and saying things in whatever might happen from that side, you go into the office or you go home and you angry and you tell people your story and you stay angry and you replay that story all day long until the very next day. You know, you're doing the anger. You're doing the frustration. Because the standard of emoting, we do 99% of our emotions. So what we allow ourselves to do is you allow ourselves to slip to a very low level, a dark and not good and not supportive, not energetic level of emotions. One of the gifts we have as human beings is we can say, well, that, that, this guy kept me up on the motorway. As he happens, we can say, oh, there you are. My emotion is going to be one of love. This guy must be late for a meeting. Well, he's late for the airport. He must be in trouble. To drive like that, he must really be in a sticky place. I'm going to send him a silent blessing, wish him on his way, and, and, and Godspeed. See, that hasn't necessarily changed him, although it might, but it's definitely changed you in that moment. How you go to the office, you go to the office differently. You go home with your husband or your wife, and you're different. Emotions like happiness and frustration and, and anger, most of those emotions we do. Most of them we do, which means that we can do other emotions. We can, in the day, right now today, the very next thing that happens that causes your normal Pavlov, no, we're not Pavlov's dogs here. The dog can't decide in that moment to not be salivating. It must salivate when the bell rings. It's conditioned. Well, we're not the same. If we have a negative emotion come up, we can say, you know what? I'm not going to do that emotion. That does bad things to me and it's not going to affect my children or my family when I do anger and frustration. I'm going to do love. I'm going to do caring. I'm going to do well wish. I'm going to change the emotion. And if we do this often enough throughout our day, we change the whole of our day from negative emotions to more positive empowering emotions as standard. That's and if right. you're doing this, of course, day by day, right. we then same same thing happen, and we notice that our standard response has changed. So th- this is far more to, to go into right now. So let's move on to the career. 
Mm-hmm. Korea or job, which is the C in perfect. And the C is around setting standards, particularly if you're in business, if you're in sales or more for marketing or you're self-employed, uh, but even if you're not, set standards for how you deal with other people in your career, in your job. Now, I made a decision around the quality of the person I deal with, who I would not see. They would not work weekend. They must have some level of wealth, some level of wealth for me to deal with them. And it meant that I would still love everyone that I saw. But if I reduced and dropped my standards, or had my standards breached, I would go back to the old way. And there's no way I would, I would do that. One of the other criteria that I set, Kathy, around standards in business, I had someone after I'd shifted who was very wealthy. I think I mentioned in the book, he's worth about 12 odd million dollars. And at that time, it was uh, the biggest um, potential case of, of money I got to invest for a client. And uh, within 20 minutes, I finished that meeting saying, you can't be a client of mine, because he was the rudest, meanest, nastiest person, mm. not just to me, but to his wife, who was also in the room in front of me, a stranger. And I thought, if that's the standard of how he treats his own wife in front of me, a complete stranger, he will run me ragged and abuse me. This guy would make me think I'm living in hell. And he, he didn't know something. I've already been to hell, and I'm not going back, no matter how much money you've got. So 20 minutes into that meeting, I said, Mr. Mr. Clark, or Mr. C, uh, I mentioned in the book, based on what I've heard so far, I can see no basis for us working together. And I saw that in the building. Wow. When I, came, I, did, I did the biggest celebration because that was a test of my standards. That was a test to say, we know you've set these standards. When they come up, we're going to test you and see, are you willing to break and to breach your standards for money or for something else? And in that moment, I, I literally celebrated because I knew that was a test and I stuck to my standards. And just so that um, listeners can appreciate this, after that moment, my confidence, my self-esteem, my self-being went through the roof. And it also meant that in future weeks, months, and years, I met many clients wealthier than that client. And the whole level of how I was as a person, my spirit, my energy, was at such a level that even wealthier clients began to say, can we do business with you? Because <laughs> I changed. And when I changed, everything changed me. When yeah. we change how we see ourselves and how we are, the world sees us differently. This is key to business, what business success. You change from on the inside. The world will see you differently. It sees you differently. When the world sees you differently, it treats you differently. And then everything will change for you. Now, it doesn't matter whether the world sees you differently. If you're different, your world has changed. So that's the career. So setting up new standards for how you're going to be, do, and interact with others in business. And I mentioned in the, a lot of the book didn't get um, into this first version. But I mentioned about a few companies, international companies, that have changed in the last two, three years to standards who got away from the goals and the mission thing and all that kind of stuff. People, organizations like Porsche Cars, and I was, and I was saying maintaining standards as their, as their strap line. Mm. AXA, Wealthcare, PPP Healthcare are saying redefining standards. People like Disney are, are looking at upholding standards. Big firms are looking at that. They didn't make this, these decisions overnight or on a flip of a coin. There's a lot of work spent, probably hundreds of millions of dollars. People like Marriott and Virgin and, that, and Chrysler are talking. Look at their strap lines right now. You can Google this stuff using standards as a way of explaining who they are and how they are with their clients. Because they began to learn in the last few years. If we set to live by standards and we perceive that way by our clients or potential clients or customers, we put ourselves in a completely different area to everybody else. So you can have a look at that, and a bit of that made it into the book, but the rest will be in the next book. Mm-hmm. Um, so setting standards in our businesses, 
we haven't got to spend $100 million to find out why standards works in businesses, not just our lives. We can just say that some of these huge firms have done that. And if we're a small or medium-sized enterprise, we should take up that standards mantle, review our businesses as well as our lives, and say, where can we set higher standards of being for our businesses? And how can we serve at another level? And people will beat a path to your door. Which is why, you know, within a few short years, I became a millionaire and earned a million dollars in a year, offers to work with very, very wealthy clients here in the UK to coach and mentor people when I moved into that field, both here and in the US. Um, all these things happen because of true self and my standards. The very last one I'll do quickly, it's uh-huh. far too big for this, uh, this segment that we have today, is time. Setting standards around rec- recognizing you are a spirit in a physical body. So when you come here, who are you in your job, in your family, in your community? And set new standards that could change your life, your world, your business, your community, even your country, or maybe even the world. Time. So time, for some people, could be time management. But the real core of time in this philosophy is around change. Your time on this earth, maybe it's four score years and ten. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less. It could be tomorrow. It could be when you're 102. Whatever life you have, set standards about getting the best of you. It's like a catch-all. Your time on this earth is limited. Set standards to get the best of you into your life. So you might set a standard. One of your listeners right now, if, I can, if you don't mind, I can speak directly to your listeners and say, one of you to, may now listen to this and go and set a standard that changes your life. Or you may set one that changes the whole world. December the 1st of 1955, Rosa Parks sat on a bus. And we all know the name Rosa Parks because in December 1955, someone someone walked up to her and said, move to the back of the bus. But she did not move. And she didn't move because in that moment, she said, she set a new standard for herself. She said to herself, you know what, I'm as good or as bad as anybody else. I'm a human being. I, I'm, I need to be, I'm, treat myself fairly. I'm going to see myself. In, in this moment, I'm going to say, no, I deserve to be here like everybody else. A brand new standard she set that day on that bus. And here we are, decades later, and we'll be for hundreds of years, talking about the standard that she set that day. And here's why I call it a standard. Because for the previous 300 years, African-Americans had said to themselves one day, you know, they're selling the marks and selling their song one day and the placard saying one day. They look for equality and fairness and treatment and the vote and equality one day in the future. For 300 years, it never came. In one day, Rosa Parks said, now, today, this is the standard I'm going to see and treat myself and be myself today. And right around the corner, this guy gets elected as head of the Montgomery Improvement Association. His name, Dr. Martin Luther King. So when she gets arrested, Rosa Parks, he picks up her cause, and the rest of the whole world knows. I've been to Jakarta, I've been to Holland, I've been to India, I've been to Dubai. Everybody knows this story about America. Because in that moment, she said today, not a future goal anymore, today, ignited the civil rights movement. Dr. Martin Luther King became Dr. Martin Luther King because of Rosa Parks' decision standard that day. I even believe that, um, you know, whether you're Republican or Democrat, Barack Obama wouldn't even be in the White House if not for her standards set that day. So you could set a standard today that could change the whole world. You may not have that as your intention, but you could set one that changes the whole world. And that's what I challenge people to do. Set standards in that time on the, you know, the T on the perfect, not just for yourself. If you do it only for yourself, then who are you? But if you don't do it now, when will you do it? And if you do it only for yourself, 
who are you? So it's about setting standards about for you, but something that could also change the whole of your community, your country, or the world. And that's what we're here to do, to help and love one another. Standards help. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's interesting, and I love that you you put that in as an example because it's such a powerful example. And you can just imagine in that moment the dangers that she was confronted with. I mean, her life really was, you know, quite in danger in that moment. And regardless of, of knowing everything that she faced, she stood in her own truth. Absolutely. Oh, that is so beautiful, Kathy. You know, because one of the things I, when I coach people and work with them, they often say, Derek, when you made all these shifts in your life and you made all these changes, it must have taken a lot of courage. And I said, it didn't take courage. It took my truth. My truth was inside of me. Didn't take courage. It took my truth. They, and they all say, well, to stick to your standard, that must, take, that, must, that must take willpower. And I say, no, it doesn't take willpower. Truth is more powerful than willpower. It takes your truth to make you do the thing that looks courageous, but that's just what's inside. That's your truth. It takes your truth to make you do the thing that seems like you need willpower. Willpower says, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep doing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Your truth says, just be. This is your truth. Is your truth, and that's where we get to be and we get to share in, in, in this life. You know, for other people, not just for ourselves. If we can turn on our light and be our truth, and I often talk about our truth being our light, our true self is a light. I know in, in America, like many places around the world, that people have lost jobs, lost houses, there's been repossession, banking problems. I had you know, previous conversations, lots of challenges um, happening in, in, in America, like the rest of the world. And it's a dark place for many people. And the reason why we need to be our light in the world, to speak and be our truth, is that even in the deepest, darkest darkness, if we turn on our light, our truth, our true self, all eyes turn to the light when it's dark. All eyes turn to the light when it's dark. And if you can be the light that people turn to when it's dark, you cannot just change your life. You can change their lives. You can change the world. So we need to be in our light by the day, every single day. Beautifully said. And, you know, there's so much wisdom in this book. I just want to remind uh, listeners of the title. It's 10 Second Philosophy, A Practical Guide to Releasing Your Inner Genius. We're speaking with Derek Mills, and his website is derek-mills.com. You can find the book at uh, Hay House Publishing, anywhere you go online. I'm, I'm sorry, did you want to say something? I was saying anywhere. I mean, Amazon, you can buy it pretty much anywhere online. It's it's a phenomenal book, and what is really great about it, I mean, we've only touched the very, very surface <laughs> of what this man has compiled in a book, and it is um, really something that everyone should go out and pick up because it it is just a different mindset. And I speak for myself, for someone who has set goals her whole life, and maybe some I have achieved, but most not really. You know, am I being the potential I think I can be? No, not really. Do I struggle with health issues and this and that like everyone else on the planet? Absolutely. So when I came across this, I just found it to be so refreshing because it really gives us a different um, a path to follow. And the, the path that you're offering is really um, 
also a place where we have control over everything we do. It's not anything on the exterior. It's everything that you are, you know, sharing in this book, all of your technique is giving us the the freedom and the control to create whatever it is we want to create. And it's it's just really beautifully done, Derek, I have to say. And Kathy, I thank you because I know that uh, the work that you do is about sharing light and about the human spirit and not just uh, sharing it in one level. I, I get from your work that you're doing it so that people who may be asleep can wake up. And this is one of the most important things that we do as guides and teachers, helping those who may not be on the same spiritual journey, but recognizing that wherever they are, they're like us, they're part of the oneness. So it's about sharing that. So when I wrote the book, I wrote it in a way, and I was being at, at my computer day after day, writing it for someone. Not a, not a person I would name, but knowing I'm writing this for you, knowing wherever you are reading this, I'm writing it now as you're reading it. And my energy was going through that thinking, I'm writing it just for you as you're reading it, knowing that this is my essence going through this computer into these words someone who's reading us in a room somewhere around the world at some point just for them. I want to help people just like you, Kathy, to wake up, to notice what is going on in their lives, to recognize the spiritual being that they are, and to also say we are in a world that's physical, that has rules, ups and downs and rules, and if you don't pay your bills, you know, you don't, they take your house. So in the book, it's about how do we practically manage that world as well as our spiritual world. How do we be the best we can be in that world as well as the spiritual world? And that's important. See, we chose to come here. And we know that there are rules like gravity and you don't pay your bills, you don't eat. These rules are here. But part of, the world, part of the world lives as if they're the only rules. They only believe what they can count and measure and, may and, and, and weigh and touch and again count. And we know there's more to the world than our lives than that. So we have that opportunity to wake other people up, to share the messages in the works that you do, in the works that I do, and the works that every listener can also do to share that light, help people to wake up. And we don't know who we're going to wake up. You can wake up the person that changes the world. That's absolutely true. And I love when you also say in the book, uh, and I'm quoting you, when in our true self we're able to open a conduit to knowledge or intelligent energy outside ourselves, Occupying that place tunes us in like a radio into that something greater. Absolutely. Amen. And that's the reward. Yeah. Yeah. It did. Because when we're in our true self, I mean, you've said that. Um, so you're reading us. I thought I was about to say, well put. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was from your book. <laughs> so um, it allows us in that true self space, literally, to have greater access to the oneness that we're all part of, to infinite intelligence and to knowledge. And we can become all we can be, and that's what we need to do in love and light for others. So thank you, Kathy, for giving me a chance to share. Oh, thank you for being here. I hope you'll come back on Behind the Curtain. I'm going to uh, incorporate your book into my life, so I'll let you know <laughs> how I'm doing while I set these new standards for myself, and we can even follow it on the program. Um, I want to thank you so much, Derek. And, and also, um, in addition to his book, uh, 
uh, 10-second philosophy, a practical guide to releasing your inner genius. You are traveling around with Hay House and the I Can Do It conferences. So everyone look, you know, to see if Derek's going to be in a city near you because I'm sure you'd like to go. And those conferences are great, and uh, I would love to see you in person. So I'll have to check your website again, which is derek-mills.com. Thank you so much again. God bless you. Thank you. Um, I also want to thank my other guest, Mahi Salamu, uh, the author of A Squirrel in Your Kitchen, who dropped by on the program today to give us a recipe for uh, being in crisis. How can we nurture our mind, body, and spirit during those moments? And she always has these great nutritional recipes to throw our way. This is Kathy Barrett from Behind the Coast. I am so honored to have you along on my journey today. I'm sending you all a virtual hug, and I hope you'll... Come back and stay tuned to the program. Peace, everyone.